Great. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, like Louisa said, for those of you who are new, my name's Ryan. Great privilege to be preaching. But before we get there, uh, at the beginning of this year, we, we took six weeks to, to walk through what it means post-COVID, lots of new people in the room, lots of shifts and changes in the life of our community to speak into what it means to be a local church. And we called that series, This Is Us. And we identified in that journey three kind of really big things that we believe we need to address in the life of our community, right? And we spoke about membership. Membership, count me in. Biblical accountability, doing biblical accountability in the context of community. And then life groups, people connected in. Doing life and discipleship together is such a vital reality in a church like ours where we say, man, guys, Sunday's stuff happens here, that's brilliant, but let's make sure that we also knitted in to doing life at the intersection of the cross with a group of other people uh, in life and doing discipleship together. And then lastly, another key factor, giving counts on me, carrying the cost together. These three areas. Now, in life and ministry and discipleship, it's really hard to, to kind of measure qualitatively what's happening. But sometimes there's some quantitative numbers that actually do tell us a story about some of the qualitative stuff, right? And so I wanna quickly just draw attention to some numbers. We said back then that a few times during the year, we were going to look at these numbers and we were trusting God that we would be moving forward as a community here locally. So there are 1,800, sorry, back to that last one, 1,803 adults in the life of our community. We've gone through, tidied up those lists a little bit more and 1,800 people saying, this, this is my community, right? Next slide, of those uh, 1,803 uh, 1, adults, 783 of them are members in the life of this community and roughly 1,020 of those people are regular attendees. And we're hoping that over time, the number on the right would become lesser than the number on the left, right? Members, that we're all saying yes to biblical accountability in the life of the church. And so we're bringing this to our attention again. What was beautiful, and we spoke to this in February, and we saw 193 people come on our most recent DNA membership course. And so a number of people hoping to shift from the right-hand side to the left-hand side. And we're gonna do another DNA course in the second half of the year. And we're saying, guys, there's still lots of room for movement here because the Bible teaches these things. This is not Ryan saying, hey guys, can you help me with my spreadsheet? That's not what this is about, right? This is about us saying yes to the clear teachings of scripture and biblical accountability in the covering of a local household. Next slide, 1,803 adults and 603 of those are currently in life groups. That's exactly a third, right, uh, of the people are in life groups. And here's the tragedy. This is the one that burdens me the most as a leader this morning, the tragedy of our hyper-individualistic current world, the tragedy of our rather consumeristic society is it's uncomfortable to do church in community. That's why people have written books like Uncomfortable Church, right? Because if you're in a church where you just feel comfortable and it meets all your needs and you're never challenged and it's all just so lovely, you're in not the church of Jesus. Relationally, church can be uncomfortable. Sacrificially, church can be uncomfortable. I'm gonna take all these comfortable chairs away next week, right? No, I'm just joking. The, the point is there's enough uncomfortable in, in church that the chairs you can have, right? But 
A third of our people actually saying, hey, I'm knitted into the community web of this community. And they're people who know my life. And they're people that are walking with me. And they're people that'll come alongside me where things to go down in my life. They're people who are calling me out. We're gonna talk about that today. And we believe that Life Group is where that happens in integrity. So we would again love to see that number moving forward and, and we'd encourage you towards that. And then the last one is around giving. And obviously, often the hardest thing to speak about, but we're not talking about financial numbers here. We're talking about numbers of people who are saying, hey, count on me. Regularly and faithfully, I'm gonna be a part of counting the cost of what it means to participate in underwriting the mission of this community into the world. And we're gonna hear more about that today. Uh, you can see the averages for the last few years uh, up in the top right corner. There. We spoke to this in Feb, and I just wanna commend the 70 or so people. You can see the average was about 380 in Jan and Feb. And uh, we spoke to it in Feb, and from March consistently for the last three months, we've been seeing it hovering around 450. 450 EFTs represents, in my mind, roughly about 625, 630 either individuals, uh, couples, or families, right? But even that number tells a story. 1,803 people saying, hey, this is my community. And roughly a third of us saying, we're participating in, in carrying the costs around here. Again, this is not a me thing. This is a God discipleship thing. And we worship God with the fullness of who we are. I use that analogy in any family, in any family where, where you're saying, hey guys, we're gonna do a bring and share every Sunday and you find two thirds of the family regularly just coming to share but not bringing, pretty quickly someone in that family is gonna go, hey, something's off here. <laughs> Why is it that only one third of us are bringing and, and, and everybody's bringing, I mean, everybody's sharing? And I think that's a practical thing. But I actually wanna take us to a passage of scripture this morning just to speak to this. Coming back to that next slide, Actually, put it there. This passage, if you wanna know kind of where the primary scriptures are that teach us into the regular and, and the faithfulness of giving and a beautiful kind of unpacking of that, go to 2 Corinthians chapter eight to nine. And Paul really teaches the local church to excel in this area of giving. And, and here's some of my favorite verses from that. He says in verse seven, this is the, the kind of sense of it that I want us to have. Each one must give as he is decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion or because Ryan stood on the stage saying you should, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. God has made all grace abound to us. We're gonna come to this in the text this morning again. God's made all grace abound to us so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. This is the spirit in which we all participate. God has given us all grace, all sufficiency, and we then get to abound in every good work. Can we put up that this is our slide again? Guys, this is a community where we wanna take seriously what it means to do biblical accountability together, to do life and discipleship together at the intersection of the cross in genuine community. And we wanna be a community that carries the cost together. See, I'm inclined to hold these numbers up here because I'm kinda of going, guys, if we say this is our community, that's not necessarily reflected in how we're doing this. 
And why do I feel such courage to do this? It's so interesting to me because actually, Louise can tell you, we just said, oh, that would be a good Sunday for us to kind of give an update on the this is us numbers, right? We said we're gonna do that a few times. I didn't know at that point which text we were gonna be at in the scriptures today. But there's this beautiful overlap between that text that we've read and this call to kind of saying, guys, we're saying one thing, this is our church, but actually the numbers are showing us a different thing. And we just need to call that. And I'm gonna ask who's coming up to read. I'm not even sure. Mika, Mika, get up here. Great, sorry, I forgot who was coming to read. Mika's gonna read to us the text. We're in the end of James chapter one, the very last two verses. And let's listen to what James says to us. And hopefully you can draw some of the parallels that I've been speaking about here. Go okay, Mika. so I'll be reading James 1, 26 to 27. And it says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Isn't that beautiful? Thank you, you can take that down. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, James is, is charging them, right? He's going pretty hard after these people. I want you to think for a moment. Imagine, just put someone who you know and you trust who's a mature Christ follower. I want you to have that person in your mind. Do you have them in your mind? Now I want you to think this person comes alongside you one day and they say to you, hey, Ryan, or whoever you are, I've been meaning to level with you for a little bit. This has been burdening me. But man, it kind of feels like your faith is inauthentic. Man, I've been carrying this burden for you for a while because it, it kind of feels like the things that you're saying, Ryan, the things that you, you kind of seem to prescribe to and tell others that you do, man, it just doesn't seem to be that those things that you're saying kind of are congruent with the way that you are acting and living. And, and, and man, I just wanna move towards you and I wanna call that out because I feel like it's out of step with the gospel that you say you believe. That's pretty hardcore, right? How would you respond? How would you respond? I know that most probably one of my first responses would be, who are you to be on the judgy high horse of my life, right? I mean, come on, take a, take a step back and like, have you scrutinized your life at all? Because I'm sure if I took a little look, I could find some things in you where you're not living up. Would that be your response? There'd be an inclination in me to answer like that, right? Natural defense mechanisms, undermine the person, question their character, tell them to step off and how did they do this so poorly? Those are natural defense mechanisms. But what happens when we believe the gospel deeply and a person comes to us and points that out? Can you imagine yourself actually being in the place where you go, oh my goodness, this is so hard to hear. This is so hard to hear from you, friend, but, but I do know you love me and I, I do know that you profess this gospel too and, and you're calling me out. And guess what? If I'm honest, the gospel I believe tells me that I'm actually more sinful than you're actually pointing out right now. And actually, man, you, you don't know the half of it because you can't see the thoughts that are going through my mind and you can't see the things that live in my heart. 
But I do wanna say thank you for calling me out on where I'm out of step with what I believe because man, I need God's help to live in more of the fullness of the truth that I do profess. And I need him to obviously get hold of my heart more deeply and I need him to lead me in this. Won't you pray for me and won't you hold me accountable to these things because God's got my number. That sounds pretty far off, right? It's, it can sound pretty far off, but, but why am I saying this? Because this is exactly what James is doing to people that he knows and people that he loves. He's calling them out. And he's saying, guys, it, it, kind, of, it kind of is one of those things where it's easy to fool yourself, but don't do it. Don't do it, don't fool yourself. The reality is if, if this is the fruit you're seeing and, and yet this is what you're professing, there is an incongruence. And again, he seems to be beating this drum that we've been picking up on for some weeks now, the big idea that when we've been saved and rescued by the gospel, we bear fruit. Is that bear? It's wrong. Guys, in teaming with Louise over 15 years, the humility I need with my spelling and her great desire and enjoyment of pointing out when it's wrong. Okay, let's put our clothes back on and let's not bear any unhelpful fruit, right? Back to the points. James, James is saying that we should naturally evidence our salvation with good works. He's naturally saying, man, if that's the root of the tree, that should be the, the fruit of the tree. And interestingly, in this passage that, that we've just read today, James uses this word religion, which doesn't necessarily sit well with us initially, right? See, he uses religious and religion there. And normally we'll kind of go, oh no, but that's not us. Surely religion, you know, that's not what we subscribe to because we feel uncomfortable and everybody's told us we don't subscribe to a religion. We have a relationship, right? But actually there's a religion being described here that God smiles on. Look at the word, religion that is pure and undefiled before God. There's, there's, a, there's a religion that God smiles on. See, the word, root word religion can mean two very distinct and different things. One, a true and genuine service and dedication and worship of God. And the other, an institutionalized system of religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices that is associated with keeping rituals in a hope of earning some divine favor. And we're saying no to that one, right? No to the latter one. But God says no. When he speaks about a religion that is pure and undefiled before God, he's not talking about an institutionalized system. He's talking about a genuine faith. Let me show you this simple little thing of what James is getting here. We can show the graph. He's pretty much saying, down the bottom there is the root and there's the fruit. So do a fruit inspection, right? If the fruit inspection of your life shows you an unbridled tongue, stains of worldliness and a lack of compassion, you most probably need to recognize that it's a fake or a false religion tree in your life. But if you are seeing a bridled tongue, an unstainedness by the world and a compassion naturally being born in your life, that is the fruits of a true religion 
in your life, right? And we're gonna unpack those briefly. But really what he's saying is he's saying, we need to make sure that we clear and not fooling ourselves about what's really going on. And James is very specific about those three examples. You might kind of think, oh, he just picks three examples. But we know that he's very specific about it because we actually see how James chapter two speaks about compassion and, and being a, a, a person who carries a heart for the, the last and the least amongst us. And James chapter three speaks about us watching our tongues and the power of, of our tongues. And James chapter four, a whole chapter on avoiding worldliness. And, and I'll explain what that means just now. But James is using these three examples and then he's gonna unpack a chapter of each of these things. So it's very clear that he believes that these three things are of vital importance, that they really do evidence the true nature of our faith. And I think we need to treat them similarly. Our words, our compassion, and the way that we find ourselves standing distinct from the worlds. We must ask, how are we doing in each of these areas? And now, because we've got three chapters coming up on each, or one chapter on each of these things, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time, but I, I just wanna touch on each of these. And today, what's happening is I'm actually doing three different things, right? Leadership moment, preaching the text, and then, and I'm gonna do that more condensed than usual, and then I actually want to take us on an inspiration kind of information and invitation into actually practically living in some of the stuff that we're teaching here today. So let's just touch briefly on these three things so we know what we actually are dealing with. See, James is saying those who truly love God and walk in His ways bridle their tongues. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. He's going, there's, there's no substance to it. It's just not genuine and real. And personally, I'm a very visual person. Can we put up that picture of the horse? I, I love the picture because I think the picture, it, it looks uncomfortable, right? And if you've ever ridden a horse, you're like, man, surely that, that is not cool. But I have wondered from time to time if you get those for humans. Because there's been a couple of times where, man, I wish I could just rein myself in and I definitely have a few people that I'd wanna give one to, right? But the reality is it's, it's uncomfortable and yet it's effective. It's effective in steering and guiding a horse. And James is saying, man, your tongue is also powerful in the effects that it has on your life and the circumstances and the people around you. And he's saying, man, if you're saying, no, I'm a gospel person, and yet you have an unbridled tongue, there's an incongruence. He's actually referring back to here some of his prior verses in verse 19. He speaks about being quick to listen and slow to speak. He's continuing this theme. And, and he speaks about the anger of man not producing the righteousness of God. How many of us know that people who deal with anger, very often the way we experience that is through the strength and the power of their words. But here's the deal, James is not just talking about us biting our lips and controlling our tongues a little bit more. See, James would have heard Jesus' words in Matthew 12 and verse 34, where he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And James is actually making that same point. He's saying, if, if it's coming out of your mouth, 
Beware, it's actually coming out of your heart. Don't just try and bridle your tongue and bite your lip a little more. Recognize that there is root work to be done in your life. Let the gospel come deeper and go deeper. That's the only way to truly bridle our tongues. And we're gonna come back to that in chapter three. Secondly, James picks up on those who truly love God and wanna walk in his ways. They serve the least and the last around us. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Widows and orphans are definitely on God's heart. There are lots of scriptures that speak to it. But actually, widows and orphans is, is in a sense just a contextual display of having a heart for the least and the last. See, they in that culture would have had almost no possibility, never mind opportunity, of being able to earn or to look after themselves. So this, these are groups of people that are fully dependent on the generosity and kindness of others. So they were people, least and last, in the eyes of society, but not so by God, and not so by us if we carry the Father's heart in us. See, I don't think it's without purpose that James actually speaks here about the hearts of the Father in this verse. See, if the heart of the Father lives in us, we will find that fatherly heart living out towards others. Someone came to speak to me after the first service about adoption and kind of, man, feeling like that's on their hearts and is that something that the Bible mandates? And I was like, I can't say that the Bible mandates that we should all adopt. But I can say as an adoptive parent that when the heart of the Father lives in you and you get a grip on the, the theology of adoption, it feels like such a natural overflow to participate in expressing God's heart in that way. And I would love to see more Christ followers do it. Again, I can't say everyone must, right? We love because we were first loved. We give because so much has been given to us. We sacrifice because so much has been sacrificed for us. Our living out the heart of the Father is a response to the heart of the Father towards us. We don't do it out of a debtor's ethic. We do it out of a, a grace that has been received. All grace continuing to abound to us. 1 Corinthians writes, 2 Corinthians, sorry. And we see God's father heart for the least and the last all throughout scriptures. Psalm 68 and verse five, God declares himself a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. In Deuteronomy 14 verse 12, the law is kind of being instructed and the people of God are instructed to go out of their way. In other words, hey, if this is convenient, normal, usual life, God's word instructs the people of God to go out of their way to care for the widows and the orphans. He's saying, it's gonna be out of your way. It's gonna be uncomfortable. It's gonna be a stress, but I'm instructing my people to be a people who walk in a different spirit and go out of our way to, to care for the least and the last. And lots can be said here, and we're actually gonna come back to looking at this and unpacking a little bit more of what this pure religion being outworked through this community looks like. But let's firstly look at James' third one. His third one, he says, he picks up, a, those who truly love God and walk in his ways, avoid worldliness. To keep oneself unstained from the worlds. 
the direct translation of that unstained is spotless, right? And many of us might read this and we think, hey, is the Bible calling us to, to kind of put up bigger fences and extract ourselves from society and, and kind of make Christian kibbutzes and all homeschool and maybe go farming? No, that's not what the Scripture is actually saying, right? The Scripture is actually saying when it speaks of the world, it's actually meaning the worldly systems of belief the fallen self-orientated attitude of humanity which rejects God and opposes His will and opposes His ways and His wisdom. Later in James, he's gonna come back to this, like I said, chapter four, I think, yeah, four. And he actually describes worldly wisdom like this, bitter envy and selfish ambition. So worldly kind of wisdom and the kind of wisdom of the world or the ways of the world that we must be spotless of is just that call to, to kind of be ambitious for personal gain and getting ahead and, and having envy because others are getting ahead of us. That's the kind of worldly stuff that James is saying, we've got to avoid that getting into us. Listen to this. Sam Albury in his commentary, James For You, he says this, further evidence of our true obedience to God is seen in a determination to avoid the moral pollution of the worlds. We might think of any number of ways in which the culture of the world around us is pushing in in an opposite direction to the way that God has called us to live. That's his definition of worldliness. So this isn't living against the people of the world, but this is actively making sure that we aren't being influenced to become like the world and subscribe to those kind of systems of thinking and belief. I remember when I was a teenager, I'm sure you've got your version of this, but my mom, a godly woman, whenever I'd head out to going to a party or whatever it is, she was just generally concerned about me generally and there was plenty of reasons why she should have been, but she would often say things like, say this pretty much like this, it stuck with me. She said, Ryan, just remember, if you're not influencing, you're being influenced. I remember, man, you get to that party and you're 16 and you shouldn't be drinking and someone wants to hand you a drink and, and what goes through the back of my head? If I'm not influencing, I'm being influenced. Watch me be influenced, right? It just, it, she stuck those words in the back of my head and she was pointing on the reality that there is no neutral ground in this world. There is no neutral grounds. Either we are pushing back darkness or it is pushing into us. Elliot Grudem, one of Donnie's friends, he often says these words, be killing sin or it be killing you. One of those two things are happening. In boarding school, we had eat or be eaten, right? But in the world today, there's no neutral ground. Be killing sin or it be killing you. This week in our life group, we, we finished reading this book and, and I know I've punted it once before, but I'm gonna take another swing, right? This book is called Live No Lies and it's kind of a mod, modern day expression of how we can see worldliness in a sense at work amongst us. And in our life group, we've just finished reading through this book together and, and one of the people in our life group said along the lines of, and I quote poorly, it's helped me to think about how to understand my world, express the complexity of the matters around me and better know how to navigate it as a Christian trying to stand strong. This book has been very helpful to us. And I wanna read you an extended quote, right? Because when it comes to worldliness, our 
kind of expression can sometimes feel like pulling ourselves out of the world. And that's the opposite of an incarnational God who moves into the world and is for the world. So listen to this. He, he speaks and he says this. In the language of an Anabaptist, of Anabaptist thought, the church is an alternative society, a group on the margins of the host culture, living an alternative but compelling and beautiful way, a prophetic signpost to kingdom life in a culture of death. It's Peter's call to be exiles in modern day Babylon. It's the church of Acts 2, Romans 13 and Revelation 3. It's the confessing church under the Third Reich, the house church movement in Mao's China, the Orthodox Christians in Syria today, and increasingly it's you and me. There's a tremendous opportunity in our cultural moment for the church to come back to her roots as a counter anti-culture. The word church in the Greek means those who are called out. It's not a community of comfort, but of calling. I'm all for Sundays, now more than ever. After dozens of hours of secular programming coming into our minds all week long, we need the anchor of Sunday gatherings to recenter our minds on truth and open our hearts back to God for healing and renewal. Every time I walk in on a Sunday and I see other followers of Jesus all around me, I remember I am not alone. I'm part of the new humanity, the future rulers of the world, ordinary and flawed as we may be. But while church is not less than Sunday services. It is far more. It must be more to survive the Western spiritual apocalypse. Church must become a thick web of interdependent relationships between resilient disciples of Jesus, deeply loyal to the way of Jesus. We must move beyond Sunday services and a network of loose ties to become a robust counter anti-culture, not just against the world, but for the world, because we're not just against evil, we're for good, we're for love, joy, thriving, marriages and families, children brought up in loving delight, adults moving off the egocentric operating system to become people of love, true freedom, justice for all and unity in diversity, to become a church for our time. I'm not sure about what that does in your heart, but man, that inspires me, right? It inspires me for us to make sure that, that we are a people. We live in Babylon, but we must not let Babylon live in us. We must be experienced as those that are not behind our high walls, but those that are pressing in to live out our faith in our most life-giving and congruent way in our worlds. That's what I believe religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father looks like. That's what it looks like. I wanna conclude there with regards to unpacking this text for today. And I wanna again put on my leadership hat 
The reason I feel confident to do that is we're gonna come back to the three more chapters on this, right? But I wanna put on my leadership hat this morning and I hope to inform us and inspire us and hopefully unashamedly invite us to live some of this out as a community. And people after the first service said to me, Ryan, why haven't you told us this fantastic stuff before? This is so inspiring and I totally wanna be involved. And so if you wanna know what I'm hoping for, that's what I'm hoping for, right? That you would have that same experience. And we're gonna particularly just hone in on one of these three things that James has spoken about. Our heart as a community, as individuals and collectively for the least and the last of our city. And I wanna spend some time unpacking the three levels of how we here at Common Ground have always gone after living out this gospel imperative for us to be a people who have a heart and live out the Father's heart for the least and the last. And so the first level that we do that is when it comes to us gaining understanding. Can we put those three levels up? They're the three levels of living for the least and the last. And I'm gonna unpack each of these. Firstly, biblical discipleship and equipping. That's the foundation for us. We always start there. Then engaging and volunteering. You'll see what that means. And then lastly, city serving initiatives. And I'll unpack each of these. They, they each bring quite a lot of context and meaning with them. But let's start at that first, that first level of biblical discipleship and equipping because I do believe, and James is saying here, it's so easy for us to, to, to see activity happening, but for that to happen from the wrong motive and from the wrong heart. And I believe that we need to make sure that we're doing everything we can to get God's heart on these matters and to allow the Bible to direct us. See, all too often in our world today, I see good Christ followers giving into a woke kind of uh, uh, agenda and, and, and participating in marches, not having given thoughts and, and being part of the deconstructionist agenda. And I wanna say, I'm not scared to march. But I wanna make sure that we as a people are a people that have thought these things through and we've got God's heart and, and His imperative on these things. So I wanna call us to be a people who wrestle with the, the Word of God and get His heart because it's all there in the Scriptures and actually kind of the kind of impetus of society today to, to do good and equality and all those kinds of things find themselves in a Judeo-Christian worldview. Actually, that's where their origins come from. And yet the world has taken over that agenda and it's corrupted it to a degree. And so I wanna call us back to be a people of the Word when it comes to looking out for the least and the last. And I believe the Scriptures actually speak to the, not just the, the way we do things, it, I mean, what we must do, it also speaks to the reality of the, the means that we have at our disposal and the manner with which we to engage these things. God's Word directs us on this. And this is another way that we need to make sure that we're not allowing worldliness to take over, take over in our lives. Does that make sense? We must remain unstained in these ways too. Let's be sure that we are equipped not just to go and do good, but to be genuine gospel practitioners in the complexity of our world today. We wanna be a people, a people who find ourselves going deeper and maturing in our personal relationships across race lines and national and socioeconomic and cultural divides because we, the people of God, are to be wall crossers like the early church was experienced. We need to make sure that we get his hearts on this. So how do we get his hearts? 
Well, I'm hoping we can put a few tools in your hand to equip you. And then the important thing is, guys, it's not gonna happen at a head knowledge point of view. It's not gonna happen just by in kind of ingesting God's instruction. You're gonna have to do business with God at a heart level. And so some resources to help you at a head level. We've got a diversity declaration. It's an 11-page document that lives online. It's on the front page of our website. And I wanna encourage you, if you have never read these 11 pages and you've never got the Scripture's intent and God's heart on these matters, as a South African living in 2022, can I say, please, won't you do yourself the favor of getting God's biblical instruction on these matters? Secondly, if if you wanna just figure out what does it look like to live justly in your life, I wanna encourage you to participate and possibly attend one of our justice journeys. We do these two or three times a year. It's a great opportunity for learning and listening and discussion and, and debate and conversation and where people are able to go deeper in grappling with God's word and some of the complexities that face our nation and our world today. It's a brilliant journey. Four Monday nights in a row happens a few times a year. There's another one happening in the third term. And we have a justice wall at the back there. There's some great resources on there. Our Common Good website, we're forever putting uh, helpful resources on there that can help us engage with huge matters facing our nation. Guys, we need to become equipped when it comes to living these things out. And not just equipped at a head level, but also grappling with God in these matters at a heart level for all of us. But it can't stay there. Another way that we mustn't be undefiled by worldliness is how many people, man, their extent of justice stops in the discussion in their lounge. Now we could talk about these things all day, but God actually calls us to be a people who are out there living this stuff. And so we wanna make sure that we are a people that are living this out and we do that through engaging and through volunteerism. And there's a number of ways, too many for me to mention all of them today, but just a couple uh, ways that you can be engaged and participate in what's happening. We, we have lots of volunteer opportunities. We're part of the Respond Coalition. That's when fires and floods and things like that happen. We as a church are one of their kind of hubs for when those things happen. And so we get lots of people together. When those things happen, we pack all kinds of stuff uh, for teachers and for medical staff and for people who've lost things in the fires and uniforms for schools schools, all kinds of stuff. We do warm-up winter where we glean from this community. We do care packs to, to a number of different places. There's a lot happening there. We partner with, we can go back one slide. We partner uh, with Rise Against Hunger a couple of times a year. Again, in August, we're gonna be packing 10,000 food parcels to go out to people who are uh, lacking in the food side of food provision. These are all just practical ways of getting involved, but that's, that's just volunteerism. I wanna draw attention quickly to engagement. We've spotlighted McCorney Primary School. It's a primary school right here in Lange, a neighboring suburb of ours, and we've got brilliant relationship in this community over 10 years. Over 10 years of serving this one non-fee-paying school, one of the poorest uh, community schools uh, that, that is in our area, right? And I just wanna quickly highlight, Leslie Black is our champion in this area. I wanna highlight just what is regularly going on in this school through Common Grounders. Every Friday, we have numeracy programs for grade six because mass 
in grade six is huge. And we do an annual math holiday club for those guys too. We have Super Saturdays twice a term, which is like a morning holiday club for hundreds of kids. We do Bible club every Wednesday afternoon for grade sixes and seven learners where we teach them the scriptures. Once a year, we have a high school application support day. One of the difficulties for non-fee paying schools is even access to things like computers and if you wanna sign up and register for high school. So once a year, at top right, picture there once a year, we get a bunch of volunteers and a bunch of computers in a room and we actually help all of their grade seven learners to apply for high school and make sure that they can make that transition which becomes a stumbling block for so many. And then we have McCorney Primary School, I mean Holiday Club, that's coming up now in the June, July holidays, 300 or so kids for a week, Monday to Friday, going to be led by, taught the gospel by, had fun with a bunch of our volunteers and we still need more volunteers to participate in that. So as you can hear, this is just a snapshot of lots of things that are happening in the life of this community by way of engagement and volunteerism. And there's more that could be said, but I don't have time. But the third level, discipleship, understanding, God getting hold of our hearts, living this out into community. The third level is, is, is uh, the next slide, if we can put it up, is when it comes to the reality of us as a community, recognizing that to whom much is given, much will be required. Years ago, we as a leadership team recognized, man, God has given us in this community a disproportionate amount of very well-connected, very well-resourced, and very, um, very strategic people in lots of different uh, industries and things like that. And so, yes, we want God to get hold of our hearts, and yes, we wanna kind of do good and kind of bless wherever we can, but... We also wanna participate in actually being a force for good and taking down some of the, the largest social ills in our nation and, and in our city. And so in 2005, a bunch of our leaders, we started Common Good. And Common Good is an, an NGO, a ministry of the church, but it's also an NGO in the city. And Common Good has got a triple E strategy where we felt God put it on our hearts that we would go after taking down the social giant of early life, education and employment, the, the critical components of how the disparities of our country and our nation's history have limited people vastly in these three areas. And so I wanna quickly just say what's happening in these spaces in early life. So Kunya, we've got a team working on this and currently we're training over 500 churches in our nation. You can put up the map there, 500 churches in our nation. Local churches, guys, there's churches on every corner. And if we wanna help people realize the vital building block of development that the first thousand days is, there are churches on every corner that can help us do that. And so we're equipping church leaders and volunteers in churches, in 500 churches in the nation right now, to help them mobilize community leaders and families in their church and in the community around them around what it means to care for these first thousand day children and the vital building block that that is. So we were finding in education that as kids are getting to edu education age and some of those vital building blocks are missing, they are not coping when it comes to education. And so we unwind the clock a little bit and we say this is a vital area of engagement, that's early life. And then our education program, 
We've got the school's collaboration program some years ago. Uh, we were invited, we were doing some stuff in education. We were invited by the Western Cape Education Department to, to team with them in serving the poorest of the poorest uh, schools in our city, non-fee paying schools, again, uh, very poor schools. And we were able to come alongside and come up with a, an initiative through this collaboration schools project that actually brings leadership capacity development and teaching coaching equipping. And what we were finding is in the, in the poorest schools, they didn't have the managerial and leadership and structures administratively, and they, the coaches weren't ongoingly being, I mean, the teachers weren't being ongoingly coached, and so many of those schools were getting a far kind of insufficient education experience. And so our team has come alongside that. And the beauty of this program, I don't wanna brag about us because in a sense it's not me, it's another team and I'll brag on them a little bit. But uh, some of the high ups in the education department have said that common good is a bright shining light in this space. They work with a number of school operating partners and, and, and we shine so brightly heard them say that. And, and I mean, we're currently responsible for about 2,000 learners. That goes up to 3,500 learners next week. I mean, not next week, next month, next year, sorry, next year. <laughs> Just in Siliconville Primary uh, High School in IY, when we got involved in the first year, their matric pass rate went up by almost 24%. 80 educators, that goes up to about 130 educators next year. Brilliant opportunity, and the good news in this is this whole team is funded by a single, single institutional donor. So there's longevity, there's security, and there's an opportunity to shape the landscape of education for the most under-resourced in our city. Systemically going after these things. The last one is TZN or uh, employments. We recognize that many people need to go from early life into education and then get ready for the marketplace. And TZN has helped us do this over many years. It's an employment initiative that where we've worked on making sure that people are work ready and they've got CVs and they're prepared and they've done interview training and things like that. And then we've opened up our networks to them to plug them in in different workspaces all around the world. And we've got partners like Mr. Price and the Premi Group and other that are taking our graduates because this part of our training that they really benefit from. Unfortunately, TZN lost its primary funding during COVID. And we've had to do a whole restructure in this team in this space, but we're trying to figure out what does it mean for us to more sustainably at a, a more economically viable price point continue to get people ready for the workspace. Three different programs through Common Good that are, are breathing so much life into taking down social giants in our city. And I wanna tell you about one more. This is not directly to do with Common Good, but many of you would not have heard. Many of you in the room, you've never heard any of what I've just said because you've arrived over the last two years or so since COVID. We've never had the opportunity to do one of these justice expos like we've done historically. For some of you, you may kind of go, oh, I've heard all this stuff before, right? Anyway, it continues to happen and there's life coming out. But nobody's heard about this really in what I'm about to tell you. But many of you would have heard, uh, or many of you know Bridges, right? Bridges is this retreat center. It's got about 250 beds. It's kind of like a halfway between like a retreat center and a Christian campsite, trying to give you a picture of it. And in, in COVID, we were approached by these guys. We have done elders camps and deacons camps and youth camps and student camps and women's camps and men's camps and alpha camps 
We've done all kinds of camps at this space over the years. And during COVID, where they had no income coming, they were forced into a position to have to sell this. They got a great offer from the wine farmer next door. And yet they approached us and they said, guys, we'd love to keep this in the kingdom. Can we not hand this over to you guys? We were very hesitant at first. And we were like, we're not sure that this is the kind of thing we should be taking on in COVID. Yet we did feel a little bit of faith leap in our hearts. We're like, man, we would hate to lose this space for kingdom purpose. And so we put it to God and we had 30 days and through the miraculous provision of a single business donor in Durban, not even in our province, hearing about this and saying, I feel like God's in it and I wanna provide the substantial money that's needed to bring this through COVID. We've seen this thing transition. And because we wanna be wise as a leadership team, we did exactly what we did with Common Good. We put it in a separate section 18, a NPO, nonprofit organization that is kind of linked to us, but distinct from us. And so that's where Bridges lives currently. And we said, God, what would you cause us to do with this tool? This is, this is not a, a tool for us to serve us. This is a tool in our hands for us to serve. And we again felt that thing of hearts towards heaven and hands towards humanity. This beautiful call that's been upon this church for, for two and a half decades now hearts towards heaven that we would see people's lives impacted through Christian, Christian camping over weekends and then hands towards humanity that we would again see non-fee paying schools be able to have access to a place like this uh, during the week. And so this year we've built a team and we've piloted a school's program in this space. And we've had over 800 students already through this space on a number of different camps. And the vision is that once this thing is fully operational, we'll, be have, we'll have between three and a half thousand and four thousand kids coming on a fully funded camp. They get picked up at school as a whole grade, along with their teachers, on a Tuesday morning in a big fancy bus, they get brought to bridges, they get fed three meals a day, they get showers in their own beds, they get taught CAPS-aligned uh, curriculum with life skills and things like that, plus a bunch of the value that God sees in them. They get loved on by our school's team and, and volunteers, and then they get packed back on their bus. And if they're grade five, they get to do that, hopefully grade five, grade six, and grade seven. And we get three kind of multi-day opportunities to bless them, to serve them, and hopefully introduce them to King Jesus over this time. It's a beautiful initiative. There's so much happening in this space. I'm gonna ask Kath to jump up here real quick. Many of you might know Kath. She brought the prophetic word a little bit earlier, but Kath is uh, one of the deacons in our church. She served on our schools program over at Common Goods and then went and did some momming and then I painted a picture for the future of her life. And she has taken this project on wholeheartedly. And as our business manager for the whole of Bridges is overseeing all of this, has built a fantastic team. So Kath, why don't you just tell us a little bit of what's happening in that space? Yeah, thanks, Ryan. So just as one of the principals said so well, he summed it up, he said, for our learners to come to a place like Bridges, it's like a trip overseas. Just for them to play in safety and, and be children and not hear gunshots, um, that is the reality of working in under-resourced communities. I've experienced myself. Um, so for them to be in this beautiful place, surrounded by mountains, um, it just is incredible to have three meals a day, to be able to shower. We had one little girl who showered six times over camp because she was so excited. It was the first 
first time she had had the experience of showering. Um, for some children, just to sleep in their own bed is a new experience. We had another little girl who said, the storm room is so beautiful. This is like my dream bedroom. I wish I could take this home with me. Um, and that's not usually what we feel when we look at a, a campsite dorm room. But she was just so excited by this. And yeah, so even also the bus, when the bus arrives, we had one little girl say, it was just mind-blowing. And then also when they arrive on camp and they say, and, and the coaches say, no, you're in the main building. And just the eyes go as big as saucers because they have, they're not used to being ushered to the main building and being able to make use of a beautiful place like this. Um, yeah, so it's like a trip overseas. We've heard from the teachers and the principals, just the most amazing feedback. Teachers have said, I try so hard to describe to the children in my class that their life is not normal compared with the rest of the world. But a lot of these children have not left their own communities. They've never left. And I know that's hard for us to comprehend. We love to send our kids on school trips and sports tours and take them on holiday. We love to broaden their horizons. And for a lot of kids, if you don't leave your own community, you don't know what to dream for your own future because you don't have a picture of what that future could look like. Um, We've also had teachers just say that there's just post-camp, there's a difference in their class, that group work is possible in a way that they haven't experienced before. Um, we've, we've designed a great program. It's filled with cognitive um, life skills, development, um, helping children to think creatively and um, do teamwork and leadership skills and all sorts of physical skills that they've never done before. But I think it, at its core is just giving children this horizon broadening experience and giving them a taste of something different. Um, and then also all the coaching moments. We try and keep quite a good learner-teacher ratio where there's great conversations happening, there's coaching happening, um, and the kids just go home with something special. We've had one child who arrived at, at camp with a cap on and he had dark glasses on. And the teacher just said he never talks. He's never talked in class. And by the end of the camp, the cap was off, the glasses was, were off, and he was sharing how much the camp had meant to him. And so you see a side of children that you just don't get to see in the classroom um, because there is such value in just taking them out and exposing them to something different. So it's a really exciting project. It's been a privilege to be involved. And I know that God's got a lot in store. This is just, in our first six months, we've had almost 900 kids enjoy this program. And yeah. Looking Brilliant, forward yeah. to good things next year. Yeah, great. You can take that with you. Kath, thank you so much. Um, I often say that you can employ people's hands, you can employ their heads, but they volunteer their hearts. And Kath is one of those people that has volunteered so much more than the hours that we pay her for to help us build this dream and to be a church that lives towards the least and the last. I had the privilege of being out there uh, 10 days ago and watching two days of camp happen and it deeply moved me. And I found myself kind of going, surely, surely we can do more in this space. Surely we can do more. So we've, we've fully funded over 900 kids already through external donors and all that kind of stuff. But coming back, I'm putting it to our leadership team. Guys, I would love us 
to cover one of the 40 camps that happens for a non-fee paying school this year as a church. That, that's our hope to participate. And you as individuals could cover a, a child. It costs 1,500 Rand to put a kid on camp like that. And we, we're gonna need lots of people to do that. Businesses can do that. It's all section 18 aid and all those kinds of things, making it helpful and compliant and all that. But really my heart got stirred and, and, and I thought, guys, imagine if, this tool for the task was even more enhanced by us taking interior teams out there and gardening teams and catering teams and painters and people who wanna go and build a jungle gym. You can see some of the ropes courses and stuff like that we've already put up. But, but there's lots of opportunity. Right now, my big burden is, does anybody know anybody with earth-moving equipment? Because we've got a whole bunch of fields, fields that go like this, right? And if we can just level those off, whole extra playing spaces for, uh, on this site and maximizing this tool for the task. Saw 100 kids sitting on a cold cement floor and I went, surely we could pop for 100 of, what do you call those things? Yoga mats. So these kids don't have to sit on the cold winter floor, cement floor. Those are the kinds of things that a community like ours can do as we find ourselves living towards the last and the least. Won't you be prayerful about these things? It's good for you to know that we're part of this. We're doing this. This is what it means to be a church who loves the city, who responds to the gospel deeply, who grapples with these things intellectually, who lives these out through engagement and volunteerism, and who Willing, is willing to strategically link arms together and take on some of the social giants of our society. Thus endeth my exposure. I want us to... I want us to come back to the very heart and foundation of this matter. I'm gonna invite the band to jump up on the stage. You've got communion where you're sitting. And guys, we can do these things out of a lot of motivations and we can feel good and pat ourselves on the back when it feels like we've been involved in some activity. But our primary motivation as the people of God, the distinctive that sets us apart is this meal and what this meal represents for us. This meal represents the broken body of Christ. See, Jesus on the night before he uh, was betrayed took his body and he broke it for us. And he said that we should do this as often as we gather because he knew that we are a forgetful people and we need to put at the very center of who we are when we come together his broken body and his shed blood. So because we're a people that love because we were first loved. We're a people who look for, for life and to be able to ex extend grace to others because we have received so much grace. And so I want us to, as the primary foundation and motivation of who we are as God's people today, take and participate the body of Christ broken for you. Jesus, I'm so grateful that you are a God who says 
it is finished. And then not too long after, you also say, therefore go. God, I'm so grateful that you are a God who says it's done, but you also call us to be those who do and continue to extend the doneness of what you have done. God, may we be a people who eat deeply from the truth of your broken body and drink deeply from the cup of salvation, your shed blood, which washes us clean, which ministers your truth and your gospel to the very depths of who we are, that we are an incarnation people. We are called to to go beyond ourselves and our comfort and to, to live and to love and to shine brightly. So today, God, we hold high the cup of salvation and we drink deeply from your shed blood. Say thank you for your finished work upon the cross. May we be those who respond to it and follow your instruction to therefore go. Blood of Christ shed for you. God, thank you for all the activities that we've spoken about here today. But God, more so than activity, I pray that you would get heart, get hearts from us this morning, that you would get motives and intent, that you would get a hunger and a desire to live as your called out, set apart and commissioned people in this world that you've called us to live and serve. We bless you today, King Jesus. Amen.